Before you're seated, here's what I want you to do. I believe that God is in this place. Do you? I believe that God comes to touch his people, and this is, we've just seen it. There's nothing impossible with God. And maybe you're feeling like you're faced with an impossible situation, and maybe it's just reoccurring, or it has existed so long, the duration of it has been, or maybe it just seems way too big for you. Well, if that's true, then you're in a perfect place for God to bring a miracle into your life. You've given God an opportunity to show up. The Bible says that he is able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond anything that we could ever ask or desire. So I want to pray before we go into the message this morning. I want to pray for you. I want to pray that God would intervene in your health or in your family or in your job or in your career or in your finances or in your emotional health or whatever it is that you're most struggling with. And God is able. Would you just lift your hands if you need special prayer? Just lift it up right there. Father, we just thank you that we can call upon your name. Your name is powerful. At the name of Jesus, so many things happen, God. We thank you that your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and people run to it and find safety and security in it. God, I know that as people have raised their hands today, that you know what their needs are, God. And I just pray, whatever that situation is, that you would move in. You are the God of impossibilities. You look for situations that seemingly are no way, no out, no answer. And those are the situations that you work your greatest miracles in. So we pray that that will be true in the lives of so many here. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 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 You may be seated. Hey, would you let the worship team know that you appreciate them and our tech team? Will you do that? They do a great job each and every week. And uh, thank you for entering into that time of worship with us. And thank you, Max, for helping out. We got a great team. A lot of people show up really, really early to make it all happen. And I'm glad you're here as we continue with part two of our series, The Me I Want to Be. And today I want to talk to you about real joy, not fabricated joy, not imitation joy, but authentic joy, real joy. And I want you to think deeply with me in the next few minutes. And some of you are like, I've had my coffee so I can think more deeply now. How many of you get excited when you think about, you wake up and you thank coffee and thank you, Jesus? Oh, man, I do too. I do too. Just even if I wake up 15 minutes before my alarm, try to go back to sleep, and I'm like, 15 minutes, the Lord's going to bless me with some coffee. I know it's coming. It's on the way. So I want you to think deeply with me in the next few moments, and here's the reason why. Everybody wants to be happy. Is that true? You believe that. Everybody wants to be happy. If somebody comes to me and says, well, you know, uh, if you were to come up, in fact, I don't even suggest it. If you were to come up to me and say, you know, Jeff, I'm the one exception to that. I'm just perfectly content with being unhappy and miserable the rest of my life. Well, if you do that, I'm going to point you. I'm going to give you a, a name and a number and point you in a direction that you need to go ASAP. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200, all right? But everybody wants to be happy. In fact, for most people, it is their number one ambition in life. We all want to be happy. And so you know what we've learned to do over time? 
I'm a professional at this. You probably are as well. Uh, There's not a lot that I'm a professional in, but this I am. I can act happy even when I'm not. How many of you wave your hand if you know how to do that? You can act happy even if you're not. Or you can look happy. Have you ever ever just tried to look happy in the moment when you knew that you were unhappy, but you just had to look happy? And so you do. Or you talk happy. But we've all learned, and probably we learned this very, very young, we've all learned how to fake happy. So we can act happy, look happy, talk happy, but all of us can probably fake happy. Now, here's a dose of reality, all right? And that's what I want to give you. I want to give you a, an ample amount of reality today, and I'm going to give you hope in the midst of it all. But here's a dose of reality. Not every day is going to be a happy day. How many of you are like, Jeff, you didn't need to tell me that. Man, I know that. But how many of you know that? Wave at me if you do. Not every day of your life is going to be a happy day. It just will not. There are going to be, in your life and mine, there are going to be setbacks, and there's going to be failures, and there's going to be disappointments, and sometimes there's even going to be disasters, and there's going to be problems, and it's so easy, listen now, it's so easy for you and me to be happy when everything is going our way, but here's the problem, things don't always go our way. And then what do we do? How do what does that uh, do to our happiness? How does that affect the level of our happiness? I want you to be really, because I ask you to really think deeply with me today, and I want you to be certain that you catch something that I am about to mention. And what I'm about to mention is this. There is a mammoth and fundamental flaw with happiness. I've got your attention now, don't I? There is. Let me say it again. There is a mammoth and fundamental flaw with happiness, and I'll tell you why. Here's the reason why. There's a huge complication going on, and the problem is this. The word happiness is actually tethered to, maybe you've never thought of it this way, but the word happiness is actually tethered to uh, the word happenings. In fact, if you take the root word of happiness, it's hap. Well, that's easy, H-A-P, and that is actually uh, meaning like fate or like chance or like circumstance. And why does that matter? And it matters a whole lot because if we believe that to be true, and it is true, in essence then, happiness is based merely upon our circumstances. And that's a big problem. Wouldn't you agree? That happiness is based then upon our circumstances. And here's what becomes challenging about that. Today, I'm happy. And why am I happy? I'm happy today because the circumstances in and around my life are good. But if we believe that that's not going to be true every day of our life, then what becomes a challenge is what about the next day? I may be on top of the world, on top of the mountain in terms of happiness today, but tomorrow it may be an entirely different story. Now, here's what I want to do today, and I'm so excited about this. For some, so many of you, this is going to be a breakthrough in your thinking. This is going to be one of the most important things that you've heard in a long time. And I'm not saying that because of me. I'm saying it because of what the Word of God has to say about what we're going to talk about today. There is a huge, huge difference, and you and I need to see this and understand it and grasp it, between happiness 
that is conditional, that is based upon our circumstances. My circumstances are good, I'm happy. But if my circumstances are not going so well, then I'm unhappy. And it, you know, happiness then has ebbs and flows and it's unpredictable and it's unreliable and it's spasmodic. And we don't know from one moment to the next, really, you know, if it's conditional upon circumstances, whether we're going to be happy or unhappy from day to day. Joy is not, and here's the big difference with joy. Joy is completely contrasting in this regard. Joy, the kind of uh, joy the Bible talked about, the kind of joy that Jesus talked about is not dependent upon circumstances. Normally, it's an attitude. Normally, it's a choice, and according to God's word, this is what God says, you and I can experience joy. Not fabricated, not imitation joy, but you and I can experience authentic joy in spite of our circumstances. I want you to check out this first verse up here on the screen. Look at it with me. Uh, Philippians 4.4 4 says this, always, always, always be full of what? Joy. joy. Now, thank you, all seven of you who said that. Always be full of joy in the Lord. And then Paul said, and we'll come back to him. I say it again. He says, rejoice, be joyful. Now you're like, all right, Jeff, if you're telling me, and I, I want to reestablish this because I don't want you to miss it. And you may have been working on your grocery list or thinking about where you're going for lunch today. So I want to come back to it. There's a problem. There's a fundamental flaw with happiness, and that is happiness is based on circumstances. So my happiness is always erratic. It's always moving around. Joy, biblical joy, the Jesus kind of joy, on the other hand, it really, it's not that it's easy, but it doesn't really, what's going on, going on in and around my life circumstantially, the reality is I'm able to hold on to joy even in the midst of my challenge. So how do we do it? I want you to get ready to jot some notes down. I've got a lot of scripture for you today, and I can do it all in the next 27 minutes and 29 seconds, and I'm going to do it. You ready? Number one, joy flows out of hope. Say that with me. Joy flows out of hope. Let's say it one more time. Joy flows out of hope. Someone has written this, hope is faith waiting for tomorrow. Hope is faith waiting for tomorrow. I like what Jean Kerr says even better. This is what she says. I'll mention it a couple of times. You may want to jot it down. It's a great, great quote. I've been familiar with it for many, many years. And it is this. Hope is the feeling that you have that the feeling you have isn't permanent. I like that, don't you? Hope is the feeling you have that the feeling you have is not permanent. How are you able to maintain joy? You're able to do it even in the midst of challenge because you are expecting, you are believing that any current struggle, or let's just go ahead and take it out to its plural form, struggles, that any current struggles you might have has an expiration date stamped on it. Have you ever considered this? That in negative, even in negative situations, you can be a positive person. Now, I've seen the flip side of that. I've seen a lot of people in my lifetime that even when everything is positive in and around their life, they still find a way to be negative. You know anybody like that? If you do, don't point at them. But even in negative situations, you can be a positive person. How are you able to do it? You're positive. You remain positive and optimistic because you have hope. 
And because of that hope, your circumstances, you will not allow them. And you're sold out into the joy that Jesus said, I'm going to place in your life. Jesus said, I want to put the fullness of my joy into you. You're so dialed into that, that circumstances cannot hijack your joy. Look at this verse. This is out of Romans chapter 12. I want you to look at this verse. Romans chapter 12, verse 12, the A part. And it says just that, what we're talking about. Be joyful. Why? Because you have hope. And when you have hope, guess what? You are able to be joyful. I want you to listen carefully to what I'm about to say. There's a lot of things maybe are going on in your life that seem hopeless, but with God, they are not. I talk to people all the time, and, and they have an immense struggle. I mean, they're just like in emotional knots because of things that are going on in the lives of their kids. And I've heard the stories, and it's like, you know, Pastor Jeff, my, my, my child, my, my daughter, my son, and this, and they un, unload a litany of, of challenges, real challenges and real pain that is going on in the life of their kids, and it becomes over time like a feeling of hopelessness. But in Jesus, whatever it is that's going on with your kids is not a hopeless situation. Or maybe you look at your career and you just say, my career is hopeless. I'm headed toward a dead end. This, this is not going to go well. Everything is moving in the wrong direction. I, I see my career coming to an end. I see my business coming to an end. I don't know what's ahead of me. And you live in fear and trepidation because, you know, this is what's going to happen in my job. I'm going to be laid off. I'm going to be fired. And then what am I going to do? Your hopeless situation in your job or career with Jesus is not a hopeless situation. You may look at your marriage and you may say, my marriage, it's a hopeless situation. We're just running into challenge and we've got such big issues that's going on right now. We're not even on the same page. And you may feel that your marriage is hopeless, but your marriage is not hopeless. You may look at your health and you may say, you know, my health and I know what's been said and I know what the, what the result, I even know what the prognosis of this typically would be. But I want you to know that even in your health, you don't have to be hopeless in your health or in your finances or in your future. You hang on to hope and you hang on to faith. And the outcome of that is you retain your joy. How are you able to retain your joy? See, that's why joy is so much different from happiness. If I'm, ha I'm happy if things are going well in my life, but if they're not, I'm unhappy. But when I have joy, the biblical kind of joy, the Jesus kind of joy, even when things aren't going perfectly in my life, which often they are not, I still have this sense of joy. And I do so because I still have hope. Secondly, all you note takers, be sure you get this down now. You can experience joy in spite of your circumstances because God always has a purpose in the pain. I want you to say that with me, will you? You did great last time. Say it with me. God always has purpose in the... One more time. God always has purpose in the pain. Now, this verse that you're about to see seems totally nonsensical, completely ludicrous, but I don't want you to rule it out just yet. Look at it up here on the screen. Romans chapter 5 in verse 3, it says, we also have joy where there are what? We also have joy. Does that mean, I mean, if we take that at face value as the word of God, does that mean that we can have troubles and still have joy? Absolutely, we can. 
we can have troubles going on. Again, we're not talking about happiness. We're talking about joy. If I've got a lot of trouble in my life, I lose happiness rather quickly. But when I have joy, it's not taken away. Why? I have hope. And I believe that even in the pain, there's purpose. And you're like, That's, that doesn't even go together. That's not congruent. That's an oxymoron. By the way, I love oxymorons. I pulled some aside just for you today. I Googled some while I was working on this talk. And you're saying, that may have been the most productive part of your whole study time. No, it wasn't. What is an oxymoron? You ready for some? I've got some. Civil war. You like that? Small crowd. Original copy. I love this one. Jumbo shrimp. You're going to love this one. Government efficiency. <laughs> Alone together. How does that happen? Clearly confused. Now I'm confused. Genuine imitation. How is it? It seems like, like an oxymoron that joy and troubles can even be mentioned together in the same sentence. But it's more than just in the same sentence. In, in the same verse. You just saw it. So, time out. Time out. Let's go ahead, and we need to pause here and deal with a misconception. And the misconception is this, all right? A lot of people think this way. Whenever I get rid of all my problems, then I'm going to be happy. Whenever I get rid of all of my problems, then I'll be happy. Now, here, let, me, let me just say this and follow me. The problem with that problem is you're always going to have problems. You with me? Wave at me if you believe that. The problem with that problem is you're always going to have problems. I don't know how it works for you, but generally it, it works this way for me. One problem moves out, and I'm like, good riddance. And another problem moves in. Has that ever happened to you? Good riddance. You're vacating space in my head and my heart. Good riddance. I'm glad you're done. Oh, what are you doing here? The problem is that our, the problem with the problem is that we're always going to have problems. Now, I think we come back to purpose and perspective and attitude. And even when I'm going through a painful time, listen, friends, it's not just in my good times, but especially in my painful times, God has a purpose. Especially in my painful times, God is able to bring a good purpose out of that. A number of years ago, great young couple in our church. And uh, I had heard, this has been several years ago, and I'd heard that, uh, that they had had a new baby and a family member had gotten in contact with me and they're like, hey, it would mean a whole lot to them if you'd go up to the hospital and see them. And I'm like, well, I'd be happy to. So I worked that out and uh, I'd been to the hospital many, many times before, brain surgery on Tuesdays and Thursdays, sometimes on Saturdays. But, uh, and you're saying, yeah, on yourself, you've had, that explains things, no. So I went up to the OBGYN floor, and when I stepped off the elevator, I had not taken Craig more than six steps, and I heard this scream that made the hair stand up all over my arms and the back of my neck. It was a scream, and I knew what was going on. It was a mother that is right in the middle of labor, and all the ladies who have had that experience said, you never had that experience. Great. You did well. You're just like, no big deal. Just had the baby. Just sort of spit the baby out and, you know, went on. 
But I'm telling you, this was not her experience. I mean, I'm like frozen in my steps, and she just just screamed so loudly. I I know somebody said one time, said, I know that God was in uh, in the delivery room with my wife because he kept mentioning his name many, many times while we were there. But I heard this dreadful scream, and you know how it goes. And then there was a baby. And it wasn't the person that I was going to see who screamed. Thankfully, that was several, several doors down. I would have turned around, got on the elevator, and screamed myself and went back to my car. So it was a door I walked by, and I heard the scream again when I'm walking by to go and see the people that I want to see. But you know how it goes. I mean, there's the pain of labor. But then what is remarkable to me is, and I've seen this happen so many times, there is the pain of labor And then you take that baby and you hand it to that mom and she forgets all about the pain. Isn't it true? Now, I want to just say from a man's point of view, I am sorry. If anything, I'm just telling you, if anything ever makes me scream the way I heard that lady scream in the hallway that day. I've got two words, never again. Whatever it was, it caused me to scream like that. Mark it down, never again. But this is always amazing to me. A mom goes through labor. Ah, oh God, oh God, oh God. God is in the room. Ah, ah, yes. And you hand her the baby and she's quiet. And then guess what? Sometime later she says, I think we ought to have another one. And I'm like, you have lost your mind. You want to go through all, you know, I, I don't, I don't understand it. But what happens? And you get the point. And I'm having fun with that, obviously. But, you know, there's the pain of labor. And it's like, oh, it couldn't get any worse. Hand her the baby. What pain? This is my baby. And she forgets about the pain. God always has purpose in the pain. I I want you to look at James chapter 1. Look at these verses here, 2 through 4. James, the brother of Jesus, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials. Now, that's unique. That's like Romans 5, 3. Consider it pure joy. It's mentioned in the same sentence, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything, not lacking anything. So the pain is often, here's the pain, it's the trials. But the purpose that God brings out of you and I walking through trials is perseverance, the ability to handle pressure. See, you're never going to know whether or not you can handle pressure or you never build up a resistance to pressure unless you've walked through some trials. What is the pain? The pain is troubles, troubles, troubles. I've got troubles. What is the purpose? Maturity, maturity, growing in Jesus, growing in Christ, and, and we don't become mature. Some of the most mature Christians I know have walked through some of the most uh, unbelievable challenges that you could ever imagine. And you and I get better. It's just like, and I mentioned an analogy, working out at the gym. We, we, get, we get better, we get stronger because we, we exert ourselves and troubles often produce maturity. 
What is the pain? It is our problems. But if we, if we handle our problems correctly and we have hope and we have that sense that God is going to bring some purpose out of even my pain, then it develops our character. And that character is that sense of being, hey, I've been proven reliable. You know, I'm growing in Jesus. I have perseverance. I can handle some pressure. I'm not weak. I'm not, you know, obliterated every time some challenge comes my way. God has purpose in the pain. Nobody knew that better than the Apostle Paul. In fact, I want you to look at a couple of verses right up here on the screen. And I need to hurry because I've got more. Philippians 1, 18 and 19. Paul said, I will continue to rejoice. I will continue to rejoice. And Paul, when he writes to the believers at Philippi, he's writing this letter about how to maintain joy. The difference between being happy and being joyful. I will continue to rejoice, he said, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, look at these five words here. What has happened to me? What has happened to me? I will continue. You see that highlighted portion, those five words at the beginning. I will continue to rejoice in spite of what has happened to me because I know that it will turn out for my deliverance. Now, what did he mean by that? And I want you to go back sometimes and read this letter of joy that Paul wrote to these believers. What did he mean by what has happened to me? Paul is actually writing this letter of joy while he is confined in a Roman prison, a Roman dungeon, while awaiting his own execution. Things were not going great in his life. It wasn't like he had situational happiness. You know, if things are good today in this dungeon, I'll be happy. If they, no, he knew what was ahead of him. And he said, yet I'm going to continue to rejoice because this is what I have. I have hope. And I know that even in pain. God has a purpose. Thirdly, you can experience joy in spite of your circumstances because God is with you. God is with you. Be sure you get that down. God is with you 24-7. Now, did you know this? I think you do, but let me mention it nevertheless. If you're a Christian, there's never a moment when God isn't with you. In fact, as a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit actually resides on the inside of you. I love this next verse. Look at it with me. This is Romans chapter 5 and verse 11. We can, there it is again, we can rejoice. Paul, who wrote this letter of joy to the believers at Philippi, also wrote this letter to believers in Rome. He said, we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. I love that statement. He has made us friends with God. That's such an amazing thing to me. Even to this day, even though I've read that verse many, many times before, that when you and I receive Jesus Christ as the Savior and the leader of our life, we actually become a friend of God. And because of God's great love for you, he has made certain that he knows you better even than your closest friend knows you. How well does he know you? He knows your tears and he knows your fears. He knows your failures, and we all have had them. He knows your needs. He knows your trials. He knows your thoughts. He knows your temptations. And you know what he says? I am right here with you. I am right here with you. Let me help you. I never intended you to walk under this heavy weight all alone. I never intended for you to take all of this pressure upon yourself. I am here with you. I'm going to bring something good out of what you're going through, but while you're going through it, I am right here with you. How do we know that? Look at these two verses. This is reaching back into the Old Testament, Isaiah 43, 2 and 3. When you go through deep waters, 
Look at these words. I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God. And what is God saying there? He's saying it doesn't matter what you go through. How bad, how good, how long, how short, how challenging. It doesn't matter what you're going through. I will always be there with you. And friends, the better that you and I know the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God and the compassion of God, the better that you and I are going to be able to know the fullness of the joy of God. So how do we do it? It doesn't seem that it should go that we could be joyful irrespective of our circumstances, but joy flows out of hope. And there's always going to be God bringing some sort of good purpose out of the pain in our life. And while we're walking through it, there is a continual reminder that God is with us. Now, in the brief time that we have remaining, which is a little less than 10 minutes now, I want to quickly mention three ways that you and I can fuel that inner joy. And I want you to be sure you get that. Three ways that you and I can fuel. God's going to do his part, but you and I have to do our part. How many of you know it often works that way? Wave at me like this. God's not going to do everything uh, for us. He wants us to learn and grow. He wants us to learn to mature but he's always going to do his portion. So what's our part? I want you, before we get to that, to listen to this great statement. This writer says, true joy, true joy only comes to those who have devoted their lives to something greater than personal happiness. It's like when personal happiness is not my highest goal in life, then I'm in a position where I can find authentic joy. True joy comes only to those who devoted their lives to something greater than personal happiness. All right, how is our joy fueled? What can you and I do? And I'm going to give you three things here and we're going to be done. Our joy is fueled when we are grateful, when we are grateful. Have you noticed this, that some of the most joyful people that you know are usually the most grateful people that you know? Here's a great challenge for you. I want to give it to you. I don't want you to just be hearers of the word, but also doers. So here's a challenge. I want you for the next, let's just say six weeks to intentionally increase your gratitude output. And see, if you would do that, if you were to do that for the next uh, 35, 40, 42 days, if you were to do that, see if you intentionally increase your gratitude output, I believe you're going to see. In fact, I'm confident of it you're going to see the input of joy into your life. It's going to happen. So what could you do? What could you do even this week? You don't even have to wait till this time next week. What if you were to express gratitude to somebody and you sat down even as early as this afternoon and wrote out a note and just expressed your gratitude to them? Or what if you made a phone call today or you sent an email or over lunch you had a, you had a meeting with somebody? I've got a pastor friend. When I graduated from Southeastern University, I was given a great opportunity. Uh, I was so young, so green, so uh, inexperienced, and I was given a great opportunity to go and serve with this wonderful pastor who's now retired uh, at a church in Montgomery, Alabama. I was with him uh, there, our family. We were there with him for several years, he and his wife. His wife's name, she's passed now, is Audrey, and our daughter is named after her, Audrey. And uh, so uh, when he would later take a church in another city, in another state, he asked me 
to go with him and serve on that staff. And I know that it would have been easy to have left me behind. But for some strange reason, he wanted us to go and we went. This is a pastor who's now retired. He's in his mid-80s. And I intentionally, I intentionally just every now and then just give him a call. And I talked to him a while. And How are you doing? But I made certain that in that conversation, I let him know how much I appreciate, how grateful I am for the impact that he made on my life, for everything that he did for me, for us as a family. You know, it's a humbling thing. It's a humbling, humbling thing to every week when I stand up here. I said this to somebody yesterday to be speaking to people that theologically are much, 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 much brighter than I am. And that's a lot of the great professors that I had when I was a student at Southeastern University a few years ago. And I know that some of them are here, and I look out, and I saw Dr. Estridge over here to my left, your right, a few moments ago. And, and you know, people like Dr. and Mrs. Spong, and uh, you all know Dr. Hackett. And there's so many professors that are here and others, and I apologize for not naming them all. But there's so many of them that just made an impact on my life. And I like to say from time to time, and I don't do it every week, and I probably should every week, but thank you for the investment that you made in me. I said it about three weeks ago to one of our professors, I think. It may have not been, but I think it was Dr. Estridge, and he said something like this. If it was, in fact, Dr. Estridge, it was one of the professors. He said, I would have never dreamed while you were a student at Southeastern University that you would one day be my pastor. (laughs) And I'm like, thank you, I think. (laughs) I'm like, you think you can't believe it. (laughs) I can't believe it. One writer said, we would be more grateful if we only knew how much of what we take for granted is arranged by God. Look at this verse. I'll give you a verse. How do we know God's will? Here's part of knowing God's will. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Be thankful in all circumstances. Not when everything is going great, but in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. How do you and I have our joy uh, fueled? What puts gas in the tank? It is when we're grateful. Secondly, be sure you get this. It's when we're giving. It's when we're giving. Let me ask you a rhetorical question. You know the answer. Who are the most joyful people you know? Greedy people or givers? You know the answer to that. Look at Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, uh, verse 35. There is more happiness in giving than in receiving. Wave your hand at me if you believe that is true. There is. There's more joy and more happiness in giving than when we're receiving. There truly is great joy in giving. And what will, I'm just telling you, friends, if you don't believe me, just try it out. Sort of like the gratitude thing. Try this out for six weeks. Five weeks, six weeks, and see if it's not true. When you reach a, uh, uh, an understanding in your life that, uh, that what God has blessed you with, the resources that you have are for more than just you, are much bigger than just you, it will set you on the path of great joy. There's a lot of things that we give to every single month that just brings us tremendous joy. Can I tell you, I don't get joy in paying the mortgage online. I don't get joy out of when a certain amount is taken out of the banking uh, account each and every month, out of checking to go toward insurance. It's necessary. It's got to be paid. I don't get joy out of paying utilities, but I get joy out of giving. I get joy out of tithing. 
I get joy every month when we give to missions. I get joy every month when we give to the development fund. I get joy every month when we send a check to support a little boy in a third world country by the name of Jeff who wants to grow up and be a preacher. And his professor will also say, I never would have dreamed that you would have been my pastor one day. You know, as a young pastor talking about being a pastor, I'm young, I'm green. And this church took a huge risk. I'd been at the church with my friend for, uh, you know, who became my friend and mentor at two different churches. And then I was with him at this second location. I got a call from a great church asking me to come and be their lead pastor. And I'm like, have you, I'm thinking to myself, have you lost your mind? I'm only 28 years old. And this church has been around a long, long time. You, and I'm like, Ugh. Uh, you know, you can't do that in the moment. You've got to act confident, like you've got more confidence in what you know. And I'm like, are they, have they confused me with somebody? You know, I'm 28 years old, went to pastor this church. I could tell you so many stories. But this is something I learned early, and I'm so, still so young, still so green. I'm definitely because I'm not pastor church. I'd only been there a few years. And in the church, we were raising money. We were always trying, you know, to expand the kingdom of God, do what we were going to do to reach people in that community. And God helped us to do that, but reach beyond that, do all kinds of things for missions. And I can remember uh, we were involved as a church in a missions project. A guy in the church I didn't know really well. I just knew that he had a lot of great vehicles. I knew that because I'd see him. And I knew he had a lot of great toys. I knew that. And he called into the church and wanted to have an appointment with me. And I'm like, I don't know what he wants to meet with me about. But obviously, he wants to meet about something. And then it took me about 30 seconds to realize why he wanted to meet with me about. So I, I forget, big missions project or something. We're raising some money to make a difference in another part of the world. And we're just a few minutes into the conversation. And it didn't take him long. He started griping and complaining about the fact that the church was raising money for this cause and I was asking people to give and I heard him out and I heard him out and I prayed that Jesus would help me to be patient and not smack him in Jesus' name because I really wanted to. And he's just griping and complaining and we shouldn't be doing this and you don't need to be blah, 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 and missions, not part of the world, blah, blah, blah. And I listened to it and I, I was gracious, I was but as soon as we got through, I saw him to the door, and I kid you not, when I saw him to the door, I didn't immediately walk back to my office. You know who else office I went to? I immediately walked into the bookkeeper's office. How many of you are already ahead of me? I walked into the bookkeeper's office, and I said, so-and-so, here's her name. She's sitting at her computer. I said, I want to know how much he's given to the church this year. And I gave her the name. She looked back at me. She said, how many of you know I already knew that? How many of you believe I already knew that? I just needed to confirm it. You know why? Givers don't complain about giving. You with me? Don't get quiet on me now. You, you were really excited a moment ago. You were all like, yeah, 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 yeah. How many of you know givers don't gripe about giving? You just do it, and it brings joy. Look at Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Tell, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. And look at this, and pour out so much blessing. Well, Pastor Jeff, I don't give to be blessed. Well, you can't stop it. It's a principle of God, the laws of sowing and reaping. Well, I'm not doing it, and that's great. We don't give so that we're blessed, but we can't stop God from blessing us when we do give, and it fuels our joy. Do you believe that? Wave your hand at me. We fuel our joy when we're grateful, when we're giving. Lastly, when we're done, when we're serving. It's usually how it works. I have joy and it prompts me to serve. 
And the more I serve, the more joy that it gives me. See, if I want to be happy, I just sit back and wait for people to serve me. Come on, come on. I'm, I'm waiting for you to be served. I'm waiting for you to serve me rather than serving. When we serve, it fuels our joy. When we wait to be served, it creates unhappiness. I love the fact that Jesus just said, all right, boys, here's what I'm going to do. You got some nasty feet, but I'm going to wash them. Laid aside his garments, took the basin, and went one by one. Came to Peter. You remember that? Lord, 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 you can't wash my feet. No way, no how. No. Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. He said, all right, just, just complete bath right here, right now. Jesus got through washing all the dirty feet. They had, as one writer said, dirty feet and proud hearts. And Jesus washed their feet. And he got back up and he said, and this is what I'm teaching you. To serve. To serve. Greatest among you ought to be the greatest servant among you. You and I were created to serve. And there's incredible joy in it. Listen, I don't have time to talk about it now because I'm out of time. We've had in the last several weeks rolling out of the pandemic, prior to even Easter and now Easter, and new people, people I've never seen before coming to our church. And you've heard me say this, if they're crazy enough to put their name on a card, I am crazy enough to call them. And I do. And I've heard this a lot lately. You know, I love the church. I love the worship. I love the messages. But how do you get to know people? How do you build relationships? And I tell them, really, there's two ways to serve. And that's a great way. And I see a lot of you connecting. You've gotten to know people because you serve in teams. But the other way is small groups. I decided several weeks ago, I am about to reinsert myself in the leadership of small groups like I've not done in a long, long time. What does that mean? I'm coming after you. Because it's time for you to lead a small group. I'm going to get involved. I want to lead. And I'm just, I've just said, and I've already been saying to our staff, I want to lay this. I've got too much going on here and here and here. And I want to move stuff off of my plate so that I can wade deeply in the small groups in our church. Now, why do I mention that now? I want you to go ahead and be thinking about leading a small group. If you're married, start talking to your spouse about leading a small group. Save me the time of calling you and go ahead and call me and tell me you'll do it. But just say, hey, I'm going to leave, and I'm going to be working on this for the next four and a half months. Come fall, we're going to kick off a bunch of small groups, and you're going to be leading them. And so will I. Because we want to help people to get connected. We want to serve, help people to get connected relationally, but also help them to grow in God. Pastor Jeff, I can't lead a small group. I can't teach. I can't prepare a lesson. You don't have to. Can you put a DVD in the player? Oh, I can do that. Welcome to small group leadership. You can do that. And you can love people. And you can encourage people. And you can build relationships. I'm coming for you. How many of you know it? Save me the call. Because I want us to just really move forward this fall. And if there's another area and you look around the church and you're like, you know what, I love babies. I'd like to serve in the nursery. Let us know. Hey, I've got some people skills. Now listen, if all your friends say that you're the biggest grump they've ever met, we don't want you in guest services. We'll put you somewhere else.
But if you've got people skills and you can smile and be friendly, just look around. Where can I serve? I love these verses. Will you stand with me? We're done. Ephesians 6, 7, and 8. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, and he will. There are rewards for those who serve. There is joy for those who serve. Psalm 100 and verse 2. Serve the Lord with joy. God, I pray for our wonderful church family. This time that we're about to go into is probably going to be the greatest in the history of our church. It really is. We're going to roll out of a pandemic. We're going to work hard. We're going to launch small groups in a way that we've never had before. We're going to serve. We're going to give. We're going to show gratitude, God. And in the middle of that, here's what's going to happen. Our joy level is just going to rise and rise and rise because we're coming to realize that we're not looking for happiness because that's situational. It's based on circumstances. But we want to have your joy. Pray for every person here that they'd hold on to their hope and faith. And it's going to lead to joy. I pray for people right now who are in the middle of pain that they would understand that even in their pain, you're going to bring out a good purpose. You're going to grow them and you're going to help them to persevere and to mature. And you're going to develop godly character in them. And Lord, help us always be reminded, whatever we're walking through, that you are with us. And then when we come back next week and we talk about peace, because we know we live in stressful times, that you would just not only increase our joy, but also give us peace that passes all understanding. We pray it in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. amen. I love you, everybody. Have a great week. See you next Sunday.